Aisha Denise Gokjin is a concert pianist and composer. She is originally from the city of Ankara, the capital of Turkey. Aisha Denise was born into music, almost quite literally. Much of her childhood was spent seated at a piano, and by five years old, she was finally able to take formal lessons. By six, she was a child prodigy in Turkey, and she was just 11 years old when she was accepted to Juilliard. But instead of heading to New York City, she went to Spain to study under the tutelage of an iconic yet eccentric American pianist. But Aisha Denise found that she didn't really fit in with the other students there, and the mounting stress and homesickness led her to move back to Turkey. Without an instructor, during a critical point in her development as a musician, Aisha Denise had to make a choice. And that choice would bring her to the United States, to upstate New York, where Aisha Denise finally met her people—the people she truly felt she fit in with. But it was when it came time to consider her future after college that Aisha Denise began to worry she wouldn't find something else every musician needs—an audience. But one particular project, while working on her masters at the Royal Academy of Music in London, would ultimately catapult Aisha Denise to worldwide recognition and help her continue her mission to unite audiences across the globe. A composition of piano arrangements that combined two genres Aisha Denise loved: classical and rock. I'm Bobby Gonzalez, and this is Spoken Dreams. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu/podcast. Hi, this is Aisha Denise Gokjin.、Uh, I am a concert pianist, composer,、uh, and just basically a human. <laughs>、uh, I'm from Ankara, the capital of Turkey. So my mom was 35 when she、um, had me, and when she was pregnant to me,、uh, about for seven months,、uh, she went to see the.、Uh, The film Amadeus,、uh, based on Mozart's life, and when the music started,、uh, she thought she was gonna give birth, and she she had to get out basically because I was moving so much, and I was like way too excited, and、um, so she was like, "This is so crazy, and I need to go, you know, go to the hospital." And then when as soon as she went out,、um, she like I stopped moving basically, and she was like, "Wait, this is crazy, like this is interesting."、Um, and then she went back in, and you know the same thing happened. So she was like, "Okay." She's gonna be a musician. That was sort of like the set route for my life. It was a path.、Um, when I was a baby, I think、uh, some of this encouragement came from, of course,、uh, my parents, especially my mom. When you know she would, you know, introduce me the、uh, instrument and you know allow me to make so- sounds, and she would imitate like animal sounds, like birds on the right hand side and like elephants or dinosaurs in the bass part. And then I really like got to、um, love、uh, piano. And I would pr- pretend to be a pianist and、uh, give concerts to them, <laughs> which was not not tonal music, I have to say.、Um, 
I started taking piano lessons when I was five and a half. I really loved music and I thought I could express myself more freely um, through music than with words. So anything I would feel, I would just like, I wouldn't even brush my teeth basically. I would just go down to the piano and like spend lots of time. I was really happy to finally officially start uh, private lessons, uh, which took on the majority of my time growing up. And uh, I wanted to um, be a pianist when I was six, basically after six months of lessons. Uh, I won a competition, uh, which made me decide. And then it was pretty much my career. The reason why I decided <laughs> when I was six to uh, pursue piano was because in the competition, the award was a huge box of candy. And, <laughs> and I thought we were rich, basically. I was like, oh my God, I want to be a pianist because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, I'm great. This is the best career in my life. Like, <laughs> like, what can be better than a box, a giant box of candy? Um, but then they also gave me um, a health insurance and, uh, and a bicycle. So it was it was very much uh, geared towards I guess like um, <laughs> me <laughs> I don't know um, and and also um, the jury members were very accomplished people um, in their fields so uh, they uh, right away offered me like scholarship for uh, to go study in, in uh, Paris actually under the government scheme but what we said was you know I, I was so young to leave the country you know and uh, instead, I actually went uh, to uh, some other competitions. Uh, I was touring and performing uh, mostly classical music. And then I got into Juilliard uh, when I was 11. And I was almost going to move to New York, uh, where at the same time I met this amazing uh, Bach interpreter who was around 83 or something at that time, Rosalind Turek. Um, and she heard me in Oxford um, and she was like, you have to come study with me. Uh, and that was like a huge honor to me. And I decided to pick her offer instead uh, of coming to New York. And uh, I uh, moved, in fact, to Spain, <laughs> which is very random. At that time, I was already like, you know, uh, almost in the puberty years. And it was sort of sad to leave my friends. And, and it was tough. Uh, we moved with my mom rented a place there and she basically Rosalind Trick was this amazing figure like he, she's an icon basically um, and she uh, was very tough in her lessons and um, she had a huge ego I mean she was writing a book about herself saying like she was born in a barn just like Jesus you know like that was the first, first sentence and you know it's like she would enter with her gown to the hotel like so she moved her pianos and she literally like sold everything to move to a five-star hotel in Marbella. And <laughs> it was just this like ridiculous story. She was friends with Picasso. Um, she would tell me all these stories. It's like, yeah, so it was very special. Um, but also I think I was very young to appreciate all those experiences. So I got really depressed after like uh, four or five months. I mean, it was to a point where my hair started falling off. It was very stressful. I was, you know, building repertoire, but then trying to adjust to the to the kids there. But they were really, really just like mm, uh, the kids of like billionaires. And they all had like red Ferrari convertibles. And uh, one day my mom picked me up uh, with her normal 
Ford car and they thought she was my cleaning lady. I mean, it was a very, very big culture shock to me. Like on one hand, studying with this amazing classical like icon and the other hand, like going to this like private school where it, I couldn't relate to anybody. And basically I missed my family. My dad was working in Turkey and he couldn't be with us. So uh, I had to go back. back I didn't have anybody to study with uh, I was all alone and this is like it is so critical for a child's development um, you have to have like an amazing teacher almost like sports coach you know you have to have like these weekly lessons you have to do like see how your muscles are developing um, your technique so I was basically sort of on my own <laughs> preparing for college <laughs> auditions um, not ideal when I was 16 I actually ended up getting into a huge um, music festival in uh, Santa Barbara in Santa Barbara I met another pianist uh, who was Chinese and a brilliant performer and I asked him who's your teacher because you're amazing and he said well um, you know you should come to Eastman and you know take lessons from him uh, and that's what I did and I got in. It was one of the best experiences I had, actually. So it was like Hogwarts, like being accepted to Hogwarts where everybody else is also a musician. And basically like the dorm rooms, like we, we were splitting um, three of us. And like every because everybody was similar and very, very talented, um, you know, I would get their jokes. We had a lot of nerdy inside jokes that all, only we understood, basically. And so, like, when there was a party, like, all the music would stop and everybody would go um, get around the, the TV and watch a Tchaikovsky symphony. And, like, well, you know, they would be, like, so thrilled about an oboe solo in, in there. And it was just fascinating. It was that sort of merge um, that I found. Uh, that I had, but I just couldn't find anywhere else. Like it was great. We ate together. We, you know, um, we were in the in the dorms together, and we studied together. So it was a really tight knit community. Um, the problem was that, of course, nobody told us <laughs> that we wouldn't have jobs after we graduated. <laughs> so we had huge egos <laughs> after the freshman year, which all went down. <laughs> like we were like, oh my god, like you know, what what should we do? Like after college, um, what kind of jobs are there available? And of course, it's just teaching, which is like great. You know, it's a different career, but I, it's not what I wanted to do. So I asked everybody, and nobody knows. You know, um, the the problem was in upstate New York, in Rochester, there were no real people on the streets. Like there was nobody to play for who would, you know, come in and enjoy our concerts. So for me, this, the, there was no like real life experience during my studies. I was, you know, it was perfect for working with amazing professors. But again, like for a musician, you have to also have an audience. I mean, that's that's more than 50% of your success. So I moved to London. Um, you know, seeking for that. It was very interesting. I performed by then in many countries. Like, I was touring already, but the, the difference is when you play for a, uh, a knowledgeable audience, and especially if they're high in their careers, like in, in music, let's say, they can, you know, uh, open opportunities for you. Like, you could play for a thousand people who will clap, they will love you, but then um, nothing comes out of it, for example, versus actually, like, you might play for... 20 people but then one might be from a label and then the other one might be a radio host you know what I mean like or they might know someone so like it was a completely different like 
world to me. London is like where everybody goes uh, for their careers and uh, the crowd is very intelligent. It's very hard to survive there unless you're successful in what you do. So um, I loved that. And I met with so many great people uh, and I would say my commercial success came from those years, yes. Because of the projects I did, even the collaborations uh, I could do, like I, I felt like I could reach the world instead of being stuck in, in like a, a random town and like working and doing music for myself like suddenly I had people um, and uh, my actually success came from uh, a master's uh, sort of like an elective project I did I was celebrating Franz Liszt's 200th anniversary he was a Hungari Hungarian composer uh, very very uh, influential in classical music he was the inventor of the piano recital that we know of today um, before him people would play with their backs face to the audience but he turned the piano around so that you could see the face because he said this is theatrical you know you have to see the emotions of the performer he would tour around in a caravan he even went to Russia he performed to like thousands of people which was very unusual uh, you know he was just a, a very charismatic guy with long hair all the women fell in love with him and there was this whole symptom in Europe called listomania where people were like getting sick of him like sick as in like in a good way like they the woman would have fever and like it was this like you know <laughs> it was his, the rock star of his day basically and I was reading about these and I was like, oh my God, like I, I should do a tribute to him. But how should I do it? Because all my friends were playing his music in tuxedos and like gowns without speaking. And it was so formal and so boring. And I was like, I have to portray him as a rock star. So what should I do? And I thought, okay, I could merge the two worlds. Like who, who would he be if he lived now? And then I was th th thinking, um... Maybe Pink Floyd. Like I was, I was thinking like their music is very similarly um, romantic in a way, like romantic as in uh, literature way. Uh, and I just thought that would be a nice parallel. And I did three arrangements uh, for piano uh, in the style of Liszt, but Pink Floyd's uh, songs: um, "Wish You Were Here," "Hey You," and another brick in the wall. arrangements uh, that I recorded uh, at school uh, on uh, on SoundCloud and um, then nothing happened <laughs> nothing happened for like a few months and I had to find a way to sustain like I was like oh my god what am I gonna do like I had some classical concerts of course I was in fact um, in Turkey in the green room right right before I performed uh, Rahmanov Paganini variations with an orchestra there and then my my phone started like you know, flashing like nonstop, and I thought like it was hacked or something. Like there's something wrong with it. <laughs> and like everybody is like writing to me like congratulations. I was like why? <laughs> like what? And like but from like random countries. Like I I mean previously I hadn't heard from Mexico, Brazil. Like these people were like writing from those Argentina and like and I was like why are they writing to me? Like what did I do? Oh my god! They're like they must be must mistaken. And and then one of my friends eventually sent me a message saying like, oh my God, you're like on the official site of Pink Floyd. And I was like, what? Like on, on Facebook. And they had like 23 million followers. 
And I was like, this is crazy. What? Like, and so there was this like paragraph that said like, oh, this Turkish classical musician, uh, pianist uh, has interpreted the Pink Floyd songs in a very different way uh, that brought the attention of the classical world, something like this. And and I, it was, that was the end. Like that was <laughs> the end of my misery, let's say, of the suffering artist, where you know suddenly I had found my audience. I loved this sort of merge of, of different um, you know styles and and exactly what I have been like you know dreaming for years since I was a kid. I sort of developed my Facebook page at that point. Um, I had like just a few people following me, but suddenly it was like thousands of people came and um, and I asked them, okay guys, like let's do an interactive project. Like you choose which, which uh, pieces you want me to arrange and I will do. So we voted and I picked, uh, I think 11 uh, tracks and I released it. Uh, and at the same time, I had a request from a radio uh, in Argentina and they said they would love to have me uh, to perform. So this is so weird. Like, so this is like this random town. Okay, it's not even like in the city of Buenos Aires. It's like in the state of Buenos Aires. It's an agricultural town called Chacabuco. Okay, so the radio station was there. It was a huge Pink Floyd fan, and he, you know, we did the interview, and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna make it happen. You'll, you'll come here and perform." And and so suddenly I was this like celebrity in this town <laughs> of a few thousand people, um, and. And they did a huge concert for me in an 800-seat uh, place. And I would walk on the streets and people would recognize me and want to take pictures of me. <laughs> How ironic is this, like, that I'm, you know, in the middle of, like, this place I had never heard of before. And then suddenly there were all my friends and, like, it was sort of like a family. And, the, you know, so I released the album there. And then I toured this uh, classical, you know, Pink Floyd classical concept album everywhere, like, in Ecuador, Bulgaria, Italy, Spain, uh, Portugal. It was Great. I, I had a really random career. Um, I had a lot of offers from like management agencies at that point, and I was I sort of refused them because I wanted to stay independent um, to make sure that I do what what I want to do um, without any influence. I, I toured around the world um, completely within my own efforts, and uh, we made it happen. Yeah. So. Um, I'm thankful to all these fans of, of uh, Pink Floyd. They changed my life. It was a turning point to me because otherwise I would have probably quit and like did an MBA or something. You know, after a while, I was known as a pianist who plays Pink Floyd. Like, and that's not how I wanted to be known as. Uh, I didn't want to be a cover uh, person. And, and the, the things weren't really covers. The arrangements were very much like transcriptions. They were very different. Um, and so um, I didn't know, like suddenly, you know, I had I knew people were following me for, for piano arrangements of Pink Floyd, but I wasn't sure if they would still stay for my originals or for my classical pieces. So I released a Chopin album and then I released a, a Beethoven album. They're all like really difficult works like sonatas basically um, and uh, on the other hand I wanted to still merge the the two audiences so I did a Nirvana album 
the Beethoven album was a huge challenge. It's very difficult to record uh, a, a piano album because you have to worry about uh, finding an amazing instrument, finding a venue where it has acoustics, uh, finding a great engineer who can record. Um, it's, you can't do it from your bedroom, basically. Um, so, and it's very expensive. And so because I was independent, I was financing it all by myself. And um, I asked uh, a really great producer to come and do the recordings for me in London. And I could only afford five days. So I, w I panicked a lot, actually. Um, so I finished everything in four days and we had one extra day even. <laughs> like normally these albums take like nine months to produce. <laughs> so uh, for the Beethoven ones, it was a two CD album. Um, we had one more day with the engineer and he wanted to like take the day to listen to the takes. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> we're going to record more. <laughs> and I told him like, can we please record? Like I have some, you know, compositions that I wrote. Like maybe like if I could play them and then I, ha I was not ready at all. Like I literally like looked um, in my emails trying to find the PDFs of the scores um, some of them these compositions when I when I had written like in university like really random things that I, I wasn't at all planning uh, and we recorded them and funny enough that album made like second bestseller in the US uh, classical charts and it was the like the third in Turkey in overall charts and then it was like top 10 in UK it was like so well received even more so than the Beethoven album actually funny enough um, and then I was like oh my god it's so crazy like people like my originals and seeing that I started um, you know playing more and composing more and uh, that was part of the reason why I moved to LA too because uh, you know here there are a lot of opportunities for film scoring and um, placements and ads uh, and ideally I would love to merge um, yet again another two you know uh, like two worlds and uh, one is the the recording like the film industry with like live performance so I would love to you know um, have my music in, in films and then um, also perform them live uh, myself and maybe per potentially with an orchestra in the back. So um, I am going to release my second all original uh, album uh, in January. So, you know, it's it's very hard as an independent artist, but um, in the end, if you can sustain um, and be consistent, I think um, it's much better. album is uh, very much uh, minimalist compositions I've done and they're based on my personal stories. Each, each piece has a story about these events that occur um, and my love for the environment um, and um, human connection and uh, I've named it Motus um, because it means motion in Latin and I wanted to move people with, with the, the music. Um, because everybody usually comes to me after concerts saying like they cried and I was like, you know, I, I love hearing that and they say it was transformative um, and I do feel like, you know, that sort of lacks in the commercial world where um, it's much more about entertainment and there are so many other things you can do with music aside from entertaining. So um, I, I love the sort of philosophical approach. Um, that's why when I compose, it's more 
that way. I love composing music when it's like emotional and nostalgic and, and romantic and all about like those things, those themes, and, and inspiring people as well, like letting them open their hearts. Uh, and I just want to be human, I want to dream big and do like accomplish big things and just want to be free. Aisha Denise has certainly found new freedom as an artist and musician. All the music in this episode are compositions by Aisha Denise from her upcoming album Modus, as well as her Pink Floyd classical project. We'll have links to where you can follow Aisha Denise online, plus where you can get all her music, including her Beethoven performances, the Nirvana project, and more on the website, ktla.com slash spoken dreams. You can get all the latest on KTLA Podcasts by following our Instagram and our now blue check verified Twitter handle, KTLA Podcasts. You can follow my personal Instagram at SoundsLikeBobby. More news stories coming up as we head into 2020. Happy New Year, and until next time, break a leg.